Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. Um, this is the second Sunday of Advent. I am Lindsay Shooters and I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon, Father Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing on this wonderful Saturday afternoon? Evening. Good afternoon, yes. Indeed, it is a very wonderful day. And no doubt, uh, spring is in the air and it's leading to the to the summertime. So it is beautiful day outside. And I think inside just wants to make us lazy around as Cape Townians do. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, we've... Um, so yeah, it's it's been very good. And uh, we had a morning out needing to get our eyes tested. And um, so that itself was a whole lot of hours uh, that we had to spend. But it was a good experience because... We encountered, as it were, um, new people, um, uh, people whose business we need and whose friendship was also very enlightening and very uh, warm and, and wel- welcoming. Uh, mm. And so were some of the customers as well. But what a busy um, time, uh, people standing in long, long queues with no social distancing yeah. that one yeah. can see for the banking. So... Money still rules our lives like a king on a throne. We have to queue up to give our obeyance <laughs> to the throne of money uh, because our life, as it were, depends on it. And then, of course, um, in that sort of um, what's-his-name busyness, we can so easily forget that we're living alongside ourselves with um, the COVID-19. And all it needs Mm. is from one person Mm. to the next. Mm -hmm. So um, really, how do we live with care and caution and compassion and still be able to make connections with each other? So, yeah, that's... that's, um, um, It would seem as if with the protocols, if you keep them, then a little bit of the fear and panic can go through the window. Um, but but still, you know, we need a lot of caution. Um, but otherwise, we're doing well, Lindsay, and I trust the same for you and your family. Yes, yes, no, very well. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a weird time of year because we we are so used to the busyness of Christmas time of the end of the year, um, getting together with friends, getting together with colleagues, reflecting on the year gone. Um, it's it's a joyous time. It should be a festive time, but yeah, there's a still a global pandemic, and yeah, it's it, it's interesting. It, it's a it's a wonderful time to be alive for someone who enjoys new experiences. <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. Mm. So the theme you have extracted from from the collect um, for this week is. God, you fill us with joyful expectation. And I mean, for someone who spent the afternoon watching Christmas carol specials and singing along, joyful breath, um, there's a lot of joyful expectation. And, and, and I think, rightly so, people do need the joy of Christmas more than any other time right now. Um, but, of course, we cannot sing in the church at the moment, because we don't need to put any unnecessary force behind the expulsion of the virus. So I had an idea, Father, and you need to go with me on this journey through this exploration of faith in the time of crisis. Um, I want to unpack a hymn that is very special to me because 
I, I enjoy the melody and I enjoy how people have used the melody differently. Um, there's an acoustic version of the song that, that, that I absolutely love. Um, it's called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's, it's interesting for this week that it sprung to my mind because, I, and I think one of the reasons was, the first reading is from Isaiah, who was one of the first to reference um, the name Emmanuel um, in the Bible. And he was also preaching at a time, or at least prophesying at the time, where Israel was kind of captive. Um, and many people say that he spoke, that he prophesied the, the rise of Cyrus the Great um, much, much later on. Um, but yeah, so the, the prophecy that he gives in the reading that we'll get to um, is repeated in all four of the Gospels. So it's like one of the cornerstones of the Messiah prophecy. And I'll just read the first verse. I mean, it, you probably are very familiar with it, but it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile year until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Do you have any points about this song, Father? Well, I, th I think it certainly does capture the Isaiah passage. Mm. Um, and the Psalms that's, that's connected to Isaiah 40 for this week is Psalm 85, which is a psalm that's a plea for Israel's restoration. Mm. Now, Israel at that stage didn't look to any other assistance for their restoration after being placed into exile uh, in Babylonia at the time. So it was like a plea for God to show God's self in a situation where they did not have the strength to, to um, liberate themselves from. And they looked to God as the liberator. Um, there was a history of liberation that they could recall on. And so when they looked back, they could see, as Henry Nowen would say, when you look back, um, you, you would find that uh, in the action of God in liberation in the past gives you some hints of how he comes to us to liberate us when we are again in trouble, as it were. Mm -hmm. So that hymn, that first verse captures the Isaiah um, uh, um, longing for God to act in a way that they could experience and see, and that mm -hmm. as the Exodus was a almost a physical um, expression of liberation, they would like God to do the same for them. Mm -hmm. Of course, our our call to come or come, Emmanuel, is um, is often often needs to 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 act as a lament. Because what got us into exile in the first place? Mm. Because the, the name Emmanuel is God with us. Mm. Now, did God disappear at some point in our 
in our lives that we now call upon him to reveal himself in a way that that is more tangible, mm. in a way in which ignites our faith. Um, has God not always been there? Hence, we can call upon him. Mm. And, um, and, and in fact, in the, in, if one just puts alongside the first verse of Come Emmanuel and the Isaiah passage, where God seems to be the one saying, comfort, comfort my people. So God was looking at this um, exilic experience that they were in in Babylon and, and really he was pining for his, for his people. He was mm. pining mm. for, that's why there was a prophet. A prophet who can tell them as much as you long to get out of here, God longs your liberation and your restoration far more than you do. But you are required in your responsiveness to this God to, to, to show him that by faith you mean for him to be there. And so, um, so it's not just uh, the text, the, the, the theme says, fill us with joyful expectation. Mm. We don't know when God's going to respond to our call to him to show in a more tangible way that he's with us, the God mm. with us. So in order for us to meet him, we, we need him. I mean, isn't that the beauty of it all? We are <laughs> empty. He needs to fill us. Our call for come or come Emmanuel is an empty call of having deserted God and realizing what our lives are without God. And now, somewhere like the prodigal son who hit rock bottom, we are now recognizing the, the, the murkiness of exile. And then that, you know, almost that last desperate cry Lord, we got ourselves into this mess. You need to help us. We are empty. Please fill us. Mm. And God on the other side is saying, comfort, comfort my people. And so God then in the words of comfort, comfort my people, he begins to pour out over us to fill us in us that he will respond mm. in his time. But we need to now allow ourselves, so opening ourselves to be filled with this expectation that is filled with joy. I, I, I sort of battle very much with the word expectation because it's almost like puts onto the person that we are calling out to, you know, a force to, to respond to us. I just looked up and one of the words that are probably more gentler and that probably links closer to the word advent mm. um, for me is the word anticipation. So it's really about waiting on the Lord. Mm. We heard from the prophet that he's calling out for our comfort. We in the hymn are saying, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. So we're petitioning God. In the prayer that we're praying in the collect, we are petitioning God to fill us with joyful expectation. And we now realize mm. in, that, in that prayer, that petition, is that joy comes from God. Mm. Mm. Do we have the capacity to anticipate, to wait? Is our waiting patient or impatient? But this is saying, Lord, 
give me joyful expectation. Mm. So even in my struggle through the exile and whatever um, challenges it has in my life, the ever way it limits who I'm supposed to become, I can still experience your work in my life as you fill me to the time when you will show how you will act, but you're already acting because you're filling me. You're meeting my expectation, my petition by, by responding to my full. And, and isn't, it, isn't it wonderful when we know from our human experience, when somebody sees our grief and comes alongside us and, and just touches us gently and says to us, I'm with you, I'm praying with you, you know, if you want to speak, those words of comfort and support. So can you imagine when the psalm, when the prophet says this into um, the people who are in exile, mm. the Lord says, comfort, comfort my people. Means he's recognized what's going on with us. And that already says he's acting. And he will mm. act. And there will be a time when we will be more fully aware that he is Emmanuel God. God with us. Mm. Yeah, it's it's good that you 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 called out the 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 differences between, or at least the negative connotations with or the, or the connotations, not necessarily negative, um, of expectation because the 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 Latin root of ex is more like an external sort of thing, um, yeah. and then anticipation kind of internalizes that that feeling. Um, yeah, so you you you're not placing an expectation on somebody else um, yeah and on that note father um could you please call the minds to prayer with the collective prayer and i will catch up with you after that good people i if you're able to extract your pew leaflet uh, please pray with me the collect for the second sunday in advent of advent let us pray God of timeless grace, you fill us with joyful expectation. Make us ready for the message that prepares the way so that with uprightness of heart and holy joy, we may eagerly await the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, Father, as we have said before, the first reading is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. You have gone extensively into verses 1, um, where God says to Isaiah, comfort my people, comfort them. And then I'm going to attack verse 2. Um, Encourage the people of Jerusalem. Tell them they have suffered long enough and their sins are now forgiven. I have punished them in full for all of their sins. <laughs> so I, I understand the the Hebrew mindset um, that this was published in. Um, but knowing what we know now, that the belief is that Jesus came and was the sacrificial lamb and washed away all of our sins. What is the context of this punishment 
I think that we must look at this reading in the light of the covenant relationship mm -hmm. that God had with God's people and how in that covenant relationship, which in short is God saying to them, I will be your God. Mm -hmm. You will be my people. Now, if that's not a mouthful, he then gives them the way in which they can appreciate him as God, as their God, and that they and that they could appreciate how they ought to be living as his people. That takes me sort of to the to the Ten Commandments as the structure of life, uh, moral life, lawful life, a spiritual life. It 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 sort of has the whole. A gambit of what uh, it means to be the people of God. But as you know, words are spoken, but they ought to be lived. Mm. We must make them, you know, when, 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 um, when we talk about uh, in Advent, uh, Henry Nouwen, the spiritual writer, says we're we, we talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus in the context of the Incarnation. So when you uh, brought out the hymn "Come, O Come, Emmanuel," we are we are highlighting the covenant because Emmanuel is God with us. Mm. He covenanted himself with us by saying, "I will be your God." Now, if you let me be your God, then this is the way you ought to live. But connected to letting me be your God is be my people. When the covenant relationship is broken because people were looking for another God in the context that they were living, they were enticed by what was going on in what is known as the ancient Near East where they were living. There were many, many tribes. And as they were journeying towards the promised land, they encountered these various people. Mm. And along the way, they drew into their way of life worship of what other gods these people were serving. So when you look at the first part of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other god but me. Mm. So, so then that when they started doing that, quite obviously um, they no longer chose God to be their God. What is the consequences of saying you're no longer my God or you're just one of my gods. I'm now getting all the others with you. And then um, you're going to, then, then how are you going to be God's people if you're now also following what other regulations? And one of the, one of the key things that, that one understood about the understanding of the God of the ancient Near East, one of it was that um, they, they, I, isolated him as the god of you know making plants grow mm. but they mm. had to do something in order to get this god's attention that led to temple prostitution and so mm. so there was that kind of so the way that you asked the gods of the ancient near east to be your god is that you have to wake god up mm. do something and then god will do whatever god has to do in response to you Whereas the God of the liberation, the God of the covenant was saying, no, 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 I am your God. Mm. Therefore, I will provide for you. 
all you as my people have to do is to obey me. Listen to our, our relationship is dependent on your obedience to me and building up our relationship mm. so that you will then have the benefit. And whenever they were not in exile, they experienced that, that experience of the God, of God truly being their God. But so easily they were enticed to uh, see themselves as, as having more than one God. Now, this must have been also a part of the enslavement in Egypt, mm. because in mm. Egypt there were several gods. And when Moses went to 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 go to 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 speak to the Pharaoh about the liberation, uh, let my people go. Mm. He said to God explicitly. Now, when they tell me who you are, who is your God, I need to tell them, and that's yeah. where. I am who I am comes up in the third chapter because it, because Pharaoh, who himself was seen as a god, needed to know what god he was dealing with. Mm. Moses needed to be very clear about who, what god am I representing. Mm. And when he comes with the word Yahweh, I am who I am, mm. you know, that of course is a, is, a, is a, a real challenging one. But then God showed Pharaoh just how it's, it's done. And Pharaoh had realized he had no power over this God of liberation. Mm. So when Israel then breaks the covenant, what happens? Are they not sinning? Do, not, do they not place themselves into suffering? And are they not open to forgiveness? And God is saying, yes, this is part of the covenant relationship. If you break it, then you're going to experience punishment of some sort. And exile was mm. that, that, that what's in them. That is why people find the Old Testament so difficult to deal with. Because they read about these things in the Old Testament. And that is why we've got to take these books, that we read every book of it, in the context in which we, they are, they are yeah. written yeah. and the story for which they are written. And there is no doubt that Israel suffered in exile. So, so, but they didn't they, all die as, yeah. a, as a result of their suffering. Hence so, the word, encourage my people, built on that I yeah. really am the God who wants to comfort them, but they keep turning their backs on me. So, when in exile, um, so the Babylonians, the Romans, the Egyptians were all this evil other. Okay, uh, a little bit of context. So this week I had a very interesting conversation with my daughter where she asked me about the Ten Commandments. Um, I forget the exact context, but it, she was, yes, she was talking about like the obeying the laws of the religion. And then I was like, no, but... The ten, con the ten Commandments aren't really that, that important because Jesus came and he kind of laid the foundation for what we believe in. And then it got into, then I got into like the, the semantics of like Christianity and everything. And then she was inquiring about the other religions. And I was like, okay, cool. Most of the religions are monotheistic. So there's like one central God and the religion is just the group. It's like the grouping of the customs and laws that in which you serve that 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 God um, and the, the path to salvation 
as it were, like the Muslims have very specific customs that they need to fulfill to then have that sort of pathway. We are a bit more, <laughs> a bit more loose. Um, but like in, in the exile context, uh, like I, I have a problem that God goes missing after casting man out of the Garden of Eden and then crops up with like Moses again. And then people are like, oh, oh, cool. There's this, he's, he's there again. And now we're the chosen people and everything. So then where do the Hebrews think that the Babylonians or whoever was oppressing them at the time come from if everybody is from God? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think when you, when you gain, again, how we, how we understand the history of man is going to be very interesting. Mm. So here, all kinds of pathologies we have to bring into the conversation to understand yeah. this because as I as we said right early in the time when we started out the podcast for the parish is that a, a whole lot of the first part of Genesis is is really um, uh, tied to faith rather mm. than is history and yet history is also the vehicle of faith and the faith yeah. story yeah. so um, there is no doubt that they did encounter, I mean, Abram, for example, wasn't part of the original so-called Hebrew group. That is why one wonders whether the Hebrew people were really homogeneous, um, mm -hmm. as it were. So, so, for example, even the people that left um, Egypt may not just have been born and bred Israel from, yeah. from, from Jewish yeah. flock. So, so obviously there is encounter with people. Um, Cain has a wife somewhere mm. along the line. Um, but in order to understand in our human mind, did God just say, let there be people on the earth when he said, let there be man, but mm. then started mm. to tell the story of how God wanted man to be with God and how God is with man by focusing on this relationship with Adam and Eve. In a place where God wanted them to be. So it's not, it's the heavenly story. Or so, yeah, an earthly story, a garden, people in the garden, God yeah. visiting the garden. Um, but it's yeah. it's got heavenly intent. The, the story is about heavenly intent. So so I think that they encountered others. There's no doubt. When when history starts sort of playing itself up, let's say from Genesis chapter 12. But then you've got also got to remember Genesis wasn't written as the first book of the Bible. Yeah, uh, it, was, yeah. it was written after the Exodus, after the Exodus um, experience itself. So there's a lot of things that had gone on that brought these various schools to put together the story itself. But oral tradition was the main thing. So no doubt when they went into the ancient Near East, they encountered groups of other people. They just encountered mm. uh, 400 mm. years with, with Egypt. Yeah. So um, they realized there was others, but th there was a specialness to them, not to keep them separate from others, but to make them a witness for others. Mm. Um, in the exile experience itself, I think the punishment that comes is when you start engaging other gods, when you're in exile, you are now burdened with the demands of your, 
you captured you, the the one who captured you. You are living under their rule and their reign. When God gave you a covenant to live under His rule and reign, you chose to 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 invite other gods to be part of the package. And when you choose them, you have to also live under their rules and regulations. And so the disobedience to God, but also the burden of exile, the burden of enslavement itself is a punishment. But again, the story tells us God does not leave us in the state of punishment. He's telling us out of the very heart that he has of comfort for these people, he says, encourage them. And that to, is to, is, and how do you encourage them? You've got to speak to them. You've got to talk about their suffering. You've got to tell them they have suffered long enough. You've got to talk about it. You can't, God says you can't ignore that. You have to talk about their sins. But with God, the God of comfort, there is always forgiveness of sin. They may have been strained under the rules and regulations of enslavement and of um, being captured because they disobeyed the covenant of, that they had with God. As a result of that, there, there, is, a, there is God has paid, God has, God has given them the punishment that they deserve and now he's going to act on. And, and of course, we hear almost poetically a voice cries out. Mm. And so I'll, action I'll happens there. immediately. Um, where, yeah, from verse 6 is a voice cries out, proclaim a message. What message shall I proclaim, I ask? Proclaim that all human beings are like grass. They last no longer than wild flowers. Grass withers and flowers fade when the Lord sends the wind blowing over them. People are no more enduring than grass. And I love this passage because it is, it gets so close to like actual physical reality. And then it just diverges into the, so like grass pollinates through wind. Um, like all, all of the grasses pollinate via wind. So when the wind blows over them, it's actually creating more. It's spreading the seeds everywhere and not, a destructive force as is put forward here. And then obviously Isaiah goes on to um, prophesy that there will be someone before Jesus. Um, and yeah, that gets picked up again in um, Math or Mark's gospel uh, later. But yeah, uh, I, I, I have a real problem with this <laughs> kind of misinterpretation. Can I just engage you, when you look at verse 8, it says, yes, grass withers and flowers fade, but the yes. word of our God endures forever. My thoughts on this, when I hear what message shall I proclaim, proclaim that all human beings are like grass. We, whilst we are important, we overemphasize our importance mm. as if, Everything depends on us from the time we are there to the end. We yeah, become yeah. the center of the world. And we think we are self-sufficient, uh, that we 
that we we that we no longer really need to depend on God and we do go away from it. What is the if 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 we identified like grass, mm. right? Um which has a place but can be pulled out and tossed away. Mm. Um, wildflowers bloom for a time and withers, they fade. So what is life really dependent upon? The word of our God endures forever. Now that correlates with this, a voice cries out, proclaim a message. God's word gives life. God's word tells truth. Going back to the Genesis passage, once we identified that God is in the beginning mm. and that though there may have been chaos, the spirit had it under control, God now says, let there be light. Creation happens. Even with chaos in the background, but mm. control chaos. So I measure to together that I mean even Jesus says <coughs> heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Now we make a big fuss about going to heaven and we make a big fuss about earth. Mm. But it says my word. Now this is the challenge. You see, when people read that, they they assume the word of God is the Bible. Mm. But I don't believe that the word of God is the Bible per se. I believe the word of that the Bible contains the word of God. The word of God is the incarnate Christ who came to be the word made flesh to dwell upon us. So we look to Jesus as the ultimate word spoken by God. And mm. therefore through him. God's word comes to us in refreshing ways. And so Jesus did say, and this is perhaps a challenge to what you said, Dwyla, that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Mm. Did not come and do away with it. I think he came to give it its true meaning because all the while, uh, some of the of the truth of it got lost because of the way in which the so-called rabbis thought that they were teaching. Jesus mm. comes mm. and says, I don't come to break that down. There's value in that. There's divine value in that. So so it's what is the word of God? Now, uh, you could see how mad people become because they emphasize almost as if the Bible is the inerrant word of God so that everything mm. you read in the English translation, of which there's many translations, it's an assumed that God spoke the English word to that writer. No, no, he didn't. God's, God's, God's word, God, the Bible was written in Aramaic, in Hebrew, in Greek. Mm. There are lots mm. of influences. And we've got to, therefore, not read the Bible as if it's the only thing that God spoke. Because John said so much more could be written. But we don't even make time to, to learn what is written. Mm. And remember, Jesus also used an Old Testament word 
when he said to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mm. Now, is that word always discernible by man? It's a word that proceeds that comes through Jesus to us, that we need the spirit to help us understand in discernment. We mm. can't just assume that we know what God is saying because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts much higher than ours. Yeah. So we need to hunger after God's word because God's word gives life. And for me, it's ultimately presented in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only then does it make sense when he says those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Why? Because he is the word spoken by God to fulfill our humanity. Anyone, therefore, is in Christ, not in the Bible. Anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. The old shall pass away and the new shall come. But the Bible is God's tool to help us mm. point the way to Jesus. And I, I may be wrong because some people will shoot me down now. <laughs> I, I think that I've hel I help myself to understand that the scriptures are important. We yeah. make it unimportant when we give it value. That is not supposed to be its value. Mm. It's, an, it's no ordinary book. It's a very valuable book. But you can't make of the book the Savior. Yeah. But you can make of the Savior to whom the book is pointing. That is Jesus Christ. Mm. Who, are, who are we celebrating at Advent? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Bible. The coming yeah. of the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ to ease God's word to us. Because the scriptures in written form can be tossed around and thrown away, but it's knowing who Jesus is that is important. Of course, now you may go into another tirade and say, well, is what Jesus said only captured in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No. 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 Because Jesus pointed the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and whoever had the conflict with him to the Old Testament. Mm. Where he would say to them, do you see them talking about me there? They were already pointing to me. The law and the prophets were pointing to me. Mm. So I think we need to really embrace ourselves when it comes to the word of God and ask, what does that really mean? Was the word of God for the prophet here, the Hebrew Bible, which may not have been written at the time? Mm. Mm -hmm. Its compilation may not have been there yet. It may still have been in oral form, something we perhaps need to check. But this yeah. text points to a voice that mm. cries out and talks about the word of God that endures forever. So that's what I want to highlight. Okay, no, fair point, fair point, sir. I was getting into the semantic weeds there, um, <laughs> and you <laughs> rightfully pointed it out. Um, and this is a brilliant transition because the voice cried out, prepare in the wilderness a road for the Lord, clear the way in the desert for our God. And then in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and I'm just going to jump to, uh, verse 4, which is John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And if I was a video editor shooting this 
amazing movie, that would be my transition point. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's 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 again like I, I can I can be facetious and and go into the whole idea of like editing and how I and I mean I've vocalized it in the past where um there's too many direct comparisons um throughout the Bible. Um that my editor brain is like, yeah, someone was being very clever there and not and distorting the truth and the facts a lot. Um, but besides for that, I just want to speak to your point about the word and being intelligible by man. I find my, and I mean, this speaks a lot to my Messiah complex, um, but I find myself more and more contemplative in my understanding of the world and how I related to other people. Because a friend of mine landed a job uh, down in Cape Town. He was retrenched. Um, now, during the pandemic, um, he's in PE. And the month that he was retrenched, he was in the final phases of buying a house in the Eastern Cape. And I was like, yes, this dude. I is a very, very close friend of mine. Um, and he's a listener as well, so yeah, <laughs> you you know who you are. Um, okay. And he was, he, I told him, I was like, imagine if you had that anchor keeping you there away from this opportunity that you got now. Because the opportunity that he has now is very forward-facing, like that job's not going anywhere in the next 10 or at least decade. Um it's, it's a very good position that, that, that he got. And then he's quite religious. And he was like, yeah, I know you don't believe that, but this is like a sign in that. And like for me to highlight that for him is kind of, and this is going to sound very arrogant, but like interpreting the word of God to him, mm. which is, mm. it's a very weird space for me to occupy. <laughs> Actually, this podcast has <laughs> put me in very weird mental places. I'm just going to say that. But yes, John the Baptizer is there. He's pointing the way to the Messiah. He's clearing the path. John doesn't get enough respect, does he, sir? No, because he's, um, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's obviously not taking uh, the spotlight. Mm. He, he acts... Um, and, and Mark, for example, doesn't tell us what Luke tells us about John's birth and mm. his mother and his father and all of that. So we, we have, as it were, Mark just telling us he's writing about the good news of Jesus Christ, the son. And how does it start? Uh, as it is written in the Old, in the Old Testament prophet. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the prophecy is now coming to fulfillment. And the prophecy was about prepare the way of the Lord. Who is this one crying in the wilderness? And that person happened to be John, John the baptizer, appeared in the wilderness, and he was pointing to Jesus. John is considered as the prophet in between testaments. And we can see how quickly Mark brings him into, um, how Mark teaches us how he's bridged between um, the Old Testament and Jesus. Mm. Um, and so John the baptizer has a, a difficult job, but probably the most exciting job. I mean, Jesus even said, anybody more faithful and more obedient than John the Baptist is greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist is. Mm. But, but then, of course, 
you'll have to jump through many hoops to get to John the baptizer who could say, um, uh, I, he must increase, but I must decrease. Mm. So obviously he was teaching us how to be engaged by Jesus, how to engage Jesus and how to speak about Jesus. Um, but his job was a real important one. His lifestyle did not cause him to be defocused from that job. He's, mm. was, he was happy with camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and to have a meal like locusts and wild honey. He yeah. was content yeah. on such a diet because his focus was on proclamation of a baptism for repentance, um, for the forgiveness of sin, and that it was to start with the whole people of the Judean countryside up to Jerusalem uh, that he was. So, so that was the starting point of his evangelical um, mission. Mm. But the point was to bring them to the one whom he said is more powerful than I am coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Mm. So John knew exactly what his role and place was. He didn't, he could have very easily, the gospel show this, have stolen the show. Mm. But he knew in his heart of hearts that was not his call. Yeah. And so he stands out as a very important model for us, a model of faith. Mm. A model who placed Jesus where Jesus should be placed in our lives. That doesn't diminish our role, but it, it brings out our role because Jesus spoke volumes of John. Mm. He compared those living in palaces clothed in purple with John came coming from a desert and and wearing camel's hair. Mm. And yet, how, how did John make a difference in the lives of ordinary people as he pointed them to Jesus? And the first thing that he does is to prepare them through a baptism of repentance and forgiveness, which latches on yeah. to the point yeah. you were making earlier on in Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people. How do you comfort them? Mm. Encourage mm. them. Mm. Tell them mm. that their sins have been forgiven. Tell them that uh, I've withdrawn my punishment for them because I punished them in full. Tell them that they can now look forward to a new life that I'll be calling them to. And that's what John came mm. to do. So you can never minimize his place. I yeah. thought it was yeah. very interesting that... Um, I think it was Henry Nowen that said, John is the precursor of Jesus. Mm. I thought that was beautifully put. He's the precursor of Jesus. That's his connection with Jesus. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I respect John the Baptist. Like, John the Baptist is kind of my, my kind of prophet where, where he... He, like the, the disciples, for instance, went from positions of power um, to servants of Christ through some form of, of I lost the word now. Uh, the, 
Yeah, conversion. That's the thing. Where where John was just always on straight and narrow. He was just doing his thing, um, speaking the good word before the good word even was really a thing. Um, preparing, like just <laughs> building <laughs> Jesus's army of followers. Because like he he was just out there making Christians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. like like he, he was called from the womb, from conception, it would seem. Yeah. And yeah. when he came in, that was his focus. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And I, I think it's his stoic nature where, where he like, he, so here's the thing, like a lot of people will always do like a Daniel fast or a something and a thing, but no one ever like rolls up and does like, hey, let's be like John the Baptist. Let's like actually embody because just sustain, like just using food as energy so that you can continue doing the work that you do, which is what he was doing, filling up on proteins and naturally occurring sugars, just so he could have the energy to go through and do everything. Um, is is a is a fantastic example. It's just like living with what you need so that you can do the job. Because like. Um, I was going to relate it earlier where it was talking about, we were talking about the people being like grass, where it's like just we are here to spread wide and far and sow the wild oats and all that sort of thing. But like I count on people to do their job. So it's like if you perform some sort of role that helps me live my life, like you are the cashier at the grocery store. Like, do your job and do it with pride. You know, like that is a purpose that you are filling in somebody else's life. Um, and like John is the embodiment of that. Yeah. No, yeah. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I, look, I think unfortunately um, people have made the assumption that um, I have to hanker after more in order to be who I am. Whereas the more can come if you just function where you are and and shine in that in that job. Mm. Because look, mm. taking the role of a cashier is a very responsible job. You're dealing with customers mm. and you're dealing with products and you're dealing with money, um, the profits of the of the business. How could that be limited? Uh, in terms of the role of the 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 manager who, mm. who who at the end of the day just ensures that what you were doing what you were trained to do um he's got to check whether it's all all right so we've undervalued people in the world yeah we've yeah. undervalued yeah. people you see the the people at the till sits with a particular kind of uniform that's camel hair Mm. But they are the face of that organization. Yeah, their yeah. smiles, their greetings, their affirmation will ensure the customers come back tomorrow. But we don't know who the manager is. Mm. Yet John was pointing to the manager. Mm. I baptize you with water. That's my role. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which far exceeds the role I have to do. Yet. What he has to do is also dependent on what I am called to do. Mm. But I'm not going to make my work more important than his. So I'm pointing to him. The one who is to come is more powerful than I am. He's coming after me. Mm. So, John, yes, 
may he may not he he may almost be forgotten once his head is taken and um and 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 uh, we forget about him almost going forward but his role made it possible for others to find Jesus mm. Mm. and his theology was spot on there yeah he he talks yeah. about a very important aspect baptism was a very decisive action claiming a baptism of repentance for sin for repentance of sin for for the forgiveness of sins so you your baptism brought you into a kind of life where forgiveness of our sins is always possible mm mm it mm. is god's gift of grace to forgive us and to be forgiving and us to be living a life of confessing of sins because you go to the bottom they said baptizing the member confessing their sins so that it brought be brought to a confession of their yeah. sins yeah. so john was spot on with that and then tells them that there's also in which the jesus will be coming to baptize them with the holy spirit uh, again bringing us back to that new birth when god breathed his spirit into us right at the beginning for us to live as his creation now he's breathing back his life into us restoring us to what we should have been in the beginning mm. so and that that baptism was also an act of outright defiance um, absolutely in its time it was a, as a, it was a political absolutely <laughs> um absolutely i'm just going to tie this up neatly with a bow with 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 the last words words that i will will say of it is like i think that the joyful expectation is the idea that some act or something is coming that validates the hard work that we put in as humans um yeah so it's like serving your community and doing all these things um for for christians it's jesus coming and being like oh cool yes <laughs> this is why i do this yeah <laughs> um, yes yes yeah, and that's that's yeah that's that's my my story for this week father and you probably have something to add and then if you could please extract a few other points of reflection um for the week from the praise of the church i think when you what you just said now takes us to the time where john then showed his morality was based on his theology mm. and his theology was you can't get married to another man's wife after killing him you can't do murder and then marry your brother's wife mm. uh, that's just not right and john spoke out and of course it cost him his life um but whilst in prison he was also inquiring about jesus because he he was he was asking his disciples go and ask jesus if he's the one that is to come and jesus said to him go tell john the blind see the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life mm. and that sort of um gave john um the understanding that he could let go um he had said what he'd said he had done what he'd said 
I know that part of the mystery for me was, should Jesus not have, have set John free from the prisons? But that's just something that I, bet, I, 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 I keep in my mind as to say, why did the, does the Gospels not tell us that Jesus then spoke up? Maybe he did when he got to the cross and in, in his other ministries, because the world was intent in silencing the voices of truth. Mm. And so um, Jesus was saying, you may silence John, but you'll never silence the voice of God's truth. You will never silence the word of God that he spoke. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. And there's no way a political power will ever be able to silence God, no matter how much they try. And so, my sisters and brothers, as we've reflected on that, and as we've just read through all of that and discussed various points of these texts, I hope that you and I, and I got the sense of this, that the petition we laid before God, God fill us with joyful expectation that it grew as we were speaking about the scriptures and pointing ourselves to Jesus and, and hopefully gives more impotence to what, um, to what Lindsay was saying about come or come Emmanuel um, and, and that great hope that God is with us no matter what we go through. Is, is brought in that hymn. And so we, in the first part of our prayers, we'll give thanks to God for all his goodness. Um, the prayers I extracted this week for Thanksgiving was that while some of us are able to come to church, um, others are meeting in worship online. So we thank God for those kind of things and for all the good that we've experienced in the past week. And that God has provided for every needs. And there isn't a circumstance under which God wasn't present. Come, come, Emmanuel is something we can pray every context we live in. When we are not really sure God's with us, we can say, come, come, Emmanuel, God's with us. In our um, prayers, we thank God for the leadership in state, in church, in community. We give thanks to God for our families and companions in the way of Christ. We thank God for that he makes life beautiful, interesting, and worthwhile. Um, and, of course, we thank God for John the Baptist and all who directs others to Jesus. And our, we give thanks for those who have gone before us that they may enjoy the life of heaven. In our... Um, Prayers of intercession this week, we focus on the theme of COVID-19 as we ask God who is gracious and us and us um, bringing salvation near to us, that he may strengthen us in our weakness and that give hope to all who are ill and recovering from illness. And so we pray the COVID prayer, author of life, healer of the nations, grant us courage to face our trial. Give us wisdom to find relief. Give us faith to be responsible and grant us your salvation. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. The second part of our intercession this week is the 16 days of activism. The 2020 theme, Orange the World. 
And so this is how we manage this young child speaking. I'm still a child, she tried mouthing to him, but fear smothered her voice. He persuaded me to come with him and I went. I know him. My family trusts him. How could I say no? Then it happened and he left. Don't tell. Nobody will believe you. I will hurt your family. My body now weighed down by the weight of pain, the memory of him on top of me, the weight of my guilt. I could not move. My insides, insides feel ripped apart. What did he do to me? I don't even know. Was I robbed of my innocence? Will I survive? A candle is lit. And then the song, A Child's Prayer by Janice Knapp Perry, which was sung by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir is played to these words. Nighttime, quiet time. Loved ones gather at day's end. I hold them close. I know they know that God will always be their friend. And just before I say goodbye, my little one is by my chair. I close my eyes. I dim the light and listen to this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, are you really there? And do you hear and answer every child's prayer? Some say that heaven is far away, but I feel it close around me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I remember now something that Jesus told disciples long ago. Suffer the children to come to me. Father, in prayer, I'm coming now to thee. Pray, he is there, speaking, he is speak, he is listening. You are his child. His love now surrounds you, he hears your prayer. He loves the children. For such is the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Then it asks that question again. Heavenly Father, are you really there? Do you hear and answer every child's prayer? On the first, we celebrated World AIDS Day. It's a red candle that we must light. And our intercession. And so on World AIDS Day, we pray especially for everyone infected and affected by HIV and AIDS. For children and young people for adults and old people, for those who seek to provide spiritual care or health care, for those who allocate resources, for those who can shape policy of the church across the globe. Loving God, the Good Shepherd, let hope still be found, let good work be done. 
the healing ministry of Jesus Christ take place. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done through Jesus Christ our Lord. And with Tiv Huddleston and our nation we pray, God bless Africa. God our children, guide our leaders and give us peace. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen. And so my sisters and brothers, as we conclude, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.